Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, and I'm so excited for the start of this podcast. Since I interviewed so many great attorneys, I figured you all would want to hear a little bit about me. So I am sharing a portion of an interview I did with Gidget Benitez, founder of Afro Latina. Gidget Benitez is a DC Latina, and she created the Afro Latina podcast to address several topics that Black and Latina law students face, including strategies to succeed in law school, how to quote unquote adult throughout the process, knowledge you don't always hear about, time management, and organizational tools, multiple career paths, and more. She also recently created an app called The Network, which helps you build your legacy and network in the law. I had such a great time doing an interview and chatting with Gidget about ways we can strategize to support and uplift one another on this long journey to Esquire. For the full interview, check the link in the show notes or visit the Afro-Latina podcast available on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. Enjoy! Great. So I am very excited to have our guest here on Afro-Latina. Professor Jocelyn Hardrick is a professor at Western Michigan University Cooley Law School, the Tampa Bay campus. And she's also the founder of Diversity Access Pipeline Incorporated. A licensed attorney, writer, and social entrepreneur, Professor Hardrick runs Diversity Access Pipeline as a nonprofit that provides scholarships and leadership development for future lawyers. She was previously a judicial law clerk, as well as an associate at a large law firm where she focused on commercial litigation involving real estate, employment, collections, and bankruptcy matters. In 2019, the Florida Bar awarded Professor Hardrick with its diversity award, recognizing her work with DAP. Professor Hardrick earned her BA in African American Studies from Fordham University and her JD from Florida State University, both with honors. So welcome, Professor Hardrick, or I'll go ahead and call you Jocelyn, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Wow. I'm so happy to be a part of this podcast. I follow you guys on social media. Thank you. So let's go ahead and jump right in. You know, please tell us a little bit more about you. Were you first in your family to go to college or law school? What what was your experience like? So my parents are both immigrants from Haiti and they 
um, immigrated to the United States in the late 70s, early 80s. And that was a time when they were under a military dictatorship. A lot of people know the names Baby Doc and Papa Doc, um, which kind of um, had a stronghold on the country. And so they were able to get visas to come to the United States. My mom came first. And she actually recently shared with me that um, when she first came, she left my oldest sister back in Haiti with family. And um, she had my um, second oldest sister here in the United States. But after three months, she put her on a plane to go back to Haiti to stay with family because her circumstances here were that she had to work and she was staying with a family member and basically sleeping on the floor. So there was no room for my sisters. And then she later would send for my sisters to come. I was the third child born here and my brother was born here and then my father joined her and my, her mom joined her later. And so that's how my, you know, my life began here. Um, and, you know, I remember when I was young, um, I saw Matlock and Perry Mason on TV. And it's so cliche, but it's true. I, I just <laughs> saw them. They were criminal defense attorneys and they were in the courtroom grilling people. I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. I want to do that. And I remember <laughs> asking my mom, what is that? What is that call that they're doing? She said, they're, they're lawyers. I'm like, well, I want to be a lawyer. And she said, my baby's going to be a lawyer. And that was it. Um, and so I'm not actually the first person in my family to be a lawyer. Um, my grand uncle, so my grandmother's brother, was a lawyer in Haiti. Oh, and he went to great. South Africa and he trained lawyers in South Africa. But when he ultimately came to, to the United States, um, it was very difficult to become a lawyer. So if you're a foreign lawyer, there's a lot of different rules to become an attorney here in the United States. And he ultimately became a um a social worker because he had the training and background and didn't require as much to become to get licensed as a social worker um and you know obviously my family came here for more opportunity um and i was privileged to have been able to go to college um and actually my mom while she was raising four children on her own because they my um, parents ultimately got divorced she was working nights at the post office because it gave her benefits and enough money so that she can pay to keep a roof over our heads and keep us together. Went to um, community college and she got her associate's degree in secretarial sciences. And she did that to demonstrate to us that there's a lot of opportunity here. And so you need to take advantage of it. Um, yes. She ultimately, she had job offers as secretaries, but they paid less than she was already making and had no benefits. And she also had a very strong accent, so no one would let her answer the phone. So, um, you know, she was going to basically just be a typist, which she was great at, but um, she couldn't leave a secure job with the federal government with benefits with four kids on her own to right. take a job that was um, insecure. So um, I'm not the first, but I'm proud to say that because I watched my mom graduate from college, um, but I am the first in the United States to go to law school. And it's been a great experience so far. So that's just an amazing story, an inspiring story. And honestly, thank you for sharing that because even though you were not, you know, per se the first in your family or, you know, I realize you said, you know, first in the United States, you also touched on a very critical thing that I think a lot of our listeners know about, but we can't, we haven't really found a solution to, which is you may come from a different country and you'll have the background and the training and the degree and be perfectly qualified. But then there are so many barriers to getting that same job when you're in the United States. And I, I haven't really heard a whole lot of conversation about how to resolve that or make it easier, but 
you know, thank you for sharing that because it is also a very important part to recognize. Yes, yes, it is. Because a lot of our families are, particularly from Central and South America, are well educated and professionals where they come from. And so I think what really needs to happen is those of us who came up in the United States need to um, become mentors and help change the system to make it easier for um, those individuals to transition into becoming professionals here in the United States. Definitely. Now I have something to think about. I really like, I'm going to ponder this for a little bit. (laughs) Um, So what are some things that you think black and Hispanic women should look for as positive signs in a law school, both when they're applying, you know, going through that application, trying to figure out where to apply. And also when they're deciding between offers of admission. You know, for me, um, when I graduated from high school, my mom, of course, she knew I wanted to be a lawyer, and she said, you're going to college. But when I asked how much she would be contributing, she said zero. And she said that with love, because like I said, she's a single mom of four children. She wanted all of us to go to college, but she could not afford to pay for four of us to go to college. And so we had to get creative on how we would pay. And obviously, student loans was one option. I was blessed. I had a scholarship, full scholarship to go to undergrad. So I graduated with maybe 5,000 in student loans when I had my bachelor's degree. And so for me, the financial consideration was a huge part of it. And it sounds like it shouldn't be because I had a friend whose family is also from the Caribbean. And she thought, okay, my, my parents, you know, had enough money that they were able to save for college. So I'm going to go to a state school, use the funds they provided for me and um, supplement the rest with student loans. And she thought financially that would make the most sense. But she recently shared with me that looking back, so many of the private institutions had full scholarships for someone like her, you know, a high performing academic student of color that she probably could have graduated with less loans if she had taken that option. So there is some math, there is some economics that plays a role in that. Um, Definitely look for schools that are willing to supply scholarships. And private schools um, a lot of times have the funds to do that. Um, And then after you kind of do the math on the economics of what it's really going to cost you to go to law school, then I um, encourage you to look at the different factors regarding the diversity of the faculty, not just racially. You know, everything's not going to be based on race because we've all had the experience where we, we go into an environment where there's maybe one or two people who share a race or a gender and you don't get along with that person. And so that yeah. ends up not being an advantage per se. But look at um, faculty members who come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Look at their um, scholarship to see, okay, maybe there are um, people who are different gender or race, but they're very adamant about diversity. They're very adamant about criminal justice. They're very adamant about um, international studies. So if you're um, interested in certain areas of law, then look for the people who will be mentors to you there. And obviously you want to try to visit and go um, to the campus, meet the professors, see how available they are. Because your mentors are going to come in all ages, races, both genders, um, sexual identities. And the the key is that they make themselves available to you and are willing to guide you and make time for you.
as it says in your bio, you were a judicial law clerk and I cannot stop raving to people. If you have the opportunity to please intern for a judge, you know, like go clerk for a judge. I loved my experience. I know every judge is different. Every experience is different, but can you explain for people who don't really know what it means? What does it mean to be a judicial law clerk? And what was that experience like for you? What did you learn while clerking? Um, That's a great question. You know, what's interesting is when I was in law school, I had professors kind of trying to get me to clerk. And I just could, they they didn't articulate well what it was and what the benefit to me personally would be. There was a sense that it's a prestigious thing to do, but I'm like, I'm not looking for prestige because I can't pay my bills with prestige. (laughs) I can't pay my student loans with prestige. And I already had, yeah, okay. And I already had an offer to a law firm. And so, you know, it's going to be a 50% pay cut if I did a clerkship instead of the go straight to the law firm. And now that I've done one, I'm like, okay, I get it now. And I'm, I know how to articulate it to someone like me um, who was in my position, who had, you know, some real bills to pay and was not willing to move because I had just gotten married and my husband and I had a long distance relationship the entire time I was in law school. And so all those things where they tell you, well, you need to be willing to move to where the clerkship is. And yes, it doesn't pay well, but it'll, you know, make up for it later. And, you know, I wasn't buying that. Um, So what I did was I, you know, I was at a firm for four years. And of course, by the time you're four years out, the pay has gone up dramatically from when you're fresh out of law school. It's like a $30,000 difference. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a big difference. So it makes it more palatable to have take that pay cut. The other difference was um, I came in understanding litigation and what reality of litigation is, like why people file motions to dismiss when they know they won't be granted. Well, you have to bill and your client wants you to be a zealous advocate. And, you know, there's all these things playing into it. And um, having written several motions and argued in front of several judges, I knew what judges were looking for. And I understood if someone was making a legitimate argument or they're just making an argument that they can make given the facts and the, the, the law which allowed me to kind of assess things a lot faster than someone right out of law school who doesn't have that experience. And so, you know, definitely if you don't get a clerkship right out of law school, it's okay. There are a lot of judges like the ones I work for who appreciate having civil litigation experience because you're able to assess things a lot faster. And so when you're a law clerk, what you end up doing is assisting the judge with research and writing. And if you're a trial level law clerk like I was, because I worked for district judges, you're also helping with case management. And so, you know, when um, parties file a motion to dismiss, it comes in, you look at it, it has a deadline. Sometimes they want extensions. So you kind of look at the extensions and you advise the judge, yeah, I think you should give this person an extension. They file the response and then you're the initial person who reads the motion and the response and kind of have an initial assessment. And then depending on your judge, there's a range of activities the judge will have you do. A lot of them will have you do the initial research and the drafting, and you hand it into the judge. And then from there, the judge may say, I agree, and and review the order, make changes, and enter it. The judge may um, start their own draft. Um, The judge may have all the clerks discuss it, particularly if it's an issue um, that's new or different. Um, And essentially, you know, the, the... product that you create can end up on Westlaw or can end up on Lexis or can end up being a subject of an article, which is which are all things that happen. 
and they get appealed and that, you know, and then they get affirmed and it becomes law and it becomes published. And so I remember watching that happening and think, wow, I, I had a big role to play in that. And that's awesome. I don't get to take credit. <laughs> so, you know, you have to put your ego aside because my name is not on it. It's the judge's name and it's the judge's decision. Um, but it was great to be able to shape the law that way. And you learn so much because um, federal judges get all kinds of law, criminal and civil. As long as it has a way to get into federal court, it's before the judge. So I dealt with a lot of state court issues and um, federal court issues and range from um, all kinds of criminal cases to, um, you know, private securities litigation to patent litigation to insurance cases to personal injury, employment discrimination. I mean, it was, we ran the gambit and I was to the very end learning something new. So it is a great experience in that sense. Most people don't do it for as long as I did for five years. I really intended to do it for one year, but, you know, I kept getting asked to stay. And then I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I took a year off after my first judge and I said, oh, let me apply for this other judge. She's looking and she probably will um, appreciate the fact that I've already done this and can really bring value to her because um, she had just moved to that district and she did. And then it was two years and she asked me to stay another year. So five years later, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I really saw it as something that you know, after five years, I've kind of, even though I'm still learning to the very end, I was ready to do something new. But it is an absolute great job. And it's, um, it, I definitely encourage students and attorneys to look into it. I mean, I, I shared on the DAP um, social media, there was a man who was a judge, a retired judge who decided to become a federal clerk because he loved, you know, the law and um, judging so much, but he had like aged out of being a judge on the state court level that he actually decided to become a law clerk. And of course, tremendous value he's adding to the judge he's working for. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity. I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our supporters, especially our JD level sponsors, U.S. District Courts, Middle District of Florida's Bench Bar Fund, and Agape Christian Bar Preparation Services, Inc. for their generous support. I'd also like to thank WMU, Cooley Law School, Tampa Bay Campus, for providing a space for the recording of several of the episodes of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.